Awesome. Well, thank you, Julian, very much for leading us today uh, through its music and being able to sing and express these words. I love the song we just sang, just, just proclaiming faith in God and saying, hey, um, life can be hard sometimes, but we know that you are a perfect, loving, good, good Father. And sometimes we need to just be able to say that out loud and know that we can trust that. Uh, well, good morning once again. If I missed you earlier, my name is Wayne. I'm the pastor here at Downtown Community, and I'm so excited that you're with us today. Now, last week we started a brand new conversation called Leading Through, and we're talking about um, how do we lead others and how do we lead our lives and ourselves, in, specifically in times where many things around us are uncertain. And I think our culture and our world right now almost and this is weird to say, almost enjoys keeping things uncertain and kind of keeping us in this moment because it kind of drives us to pay attention. It drives us to consume media. It drives us to up website clicks or whatever it may be. And we're kind of pushing us and embracing that and in very interesting ways. But at the same time, we don't like this. And how do you lead through all of that. Many of you are leaders in your jobs and the positions that you have. You, Many of you are parents that are with us. You have families. You have children that you're leading. You are in charge of raising them up. Or at your office or job, you are leading a team. You are a manager. Maybe you are a business owner. And learning the dynamics of having to lead, especially during times of uncertainty, is, is, is not easy. And then some of you might say, well, I'm not a leader. i I don't even have a roommate. Like, I don't, you know, people, I would say, you still lead yourself. You have your own life and you are leading yourself. And one day, you will be leading others. You'll have an opportunity uh, to do that. And so, we're going to be talking in this series and starting today three essentials, really through walking through times of uncertainty. And as I've been leading myself, I've been pursuing this and reading so many things. And so a lot of this are things that I'm learning uh, to do and to implement. Some of it's things that are reminders to me and some of it are things that I'm learning right now. And if you are a, a good leader or on your way to be a good leader, you will be able to say, I don't have all the answers. Especially in times like this, we don't have all the answers. We don't always know what to do, and many times we're making this up as we go along. We're just trying to get a foot in front of us and take a step forward. I mean, if you see what's happening, like England right now just had to do full-month lockdown, and we have all these experts, and we're trying our best, but even then, we still don't fully grasp what to do. How do you lead during those times? And so we're going to begin to walk through the three essential steps this week. Last week, we started with the foundation of how God has given us what we have. The leadership things that we have, we need to understand that it's temporary. The positions we have don't last forever. And that gives us perspective to be good stewards and to be accountable with the time that we have. And it helps us to love people and not just get it all, get it all just for ourselves, but to love others and to remember what we've been given. And so we're going to continue that forward today. And I want to start by asking this question. Have you ever been caught getting, trying to get away with something, but you got caught? You know, essentially you got your hand caught in the proverbial cookie jar. You were trying to do something, but then somebody walked in the room and then kind of blew it all up. I mean, this is, if you've lived life long enough, you probably should have done this, or maybe your life wasn't very interesting. I don't know. But for me, I have lots of examples. I remember one time coming home late after being out with friends, 
and I'm walking in the house, and it's pretty late, and I'm trying to be quiet, but apparently I wasn't quiet enough, and my mom just happened to be uh, up. She was getting a drink of water or something in the kitchen, and I came in, and it was just a really bad moment because she saw me. In fact, she thought I was in the house, <laughs> and I scared her. She thought somebody was trying to break in when I came in through the door. I was caught. I remember in college, it was a really nice day. I probably woke up late, and I'm, I'm, I'm walking out, and I'm supposed to be on my way to class, and it was so beautiful out. And I was like, you know what? Such a nice day. I think I'm going to just miss class today. I'm going to skip class. And, and then as I'm walking through the courtyard of the college campus, uh, it turns out my professor of this class also thought it was a nice day, and there in the middle of the courtyard was him and my class right there in front of me. That was kind of a funny, bad moment. There was another time I was in a job, actually, and I was actually on my way out in the job. I had, the company was downsizing. It was the last couple of weeks I was there. And on Fridays, we, it was very much relaxed. Many times we would get to go home early, and I needed to be spending time during the weekday looking for the next stage for myself, looking for a job. And on this Friday, we had nothing to do. And all the bosses were out, and I was like, this is one of those days where we could leave early and be just fine. And, but I'm not usually the one that makes that call. And I just decided I'm going to make that call. And even though it was the end of my job, I was out soon, I decided to leave. And of, of all days, I'd never done this to do this, but the, one of the bosses called in. And they're like, where's Wayne? Where are you at? And it caused this huge blow up. And they eventually called a huge staff meeting the next week. And it actually got other staff members in trouble for whatever reason, they just began to log down harder. It was a little bit controlling environment. It wasn't very fun. But it was one of those times where, like, man. And then all my coworkers were so mad at me because it made it harder than it was. You got caught. We've all been there, right? You tried to get away with something. It didn't happen. And ultimately, these are type of things that don't really impact you. They're not, like, actually derailing your life. But what about the heavier things? What about the things that do derail you? What are those? And what about the things that you do in your life that you know if you really pursue this deeply or if somebody found out that it could hurt, actually hurt your career? It actually could hurt a relationship that you are in. What about the things that we hide? Those things that are in our lives that we don't want people to know. What about the things that, like, if you do this, you know it could hurt you, but you still do it anyway. Why is that? What is it in us? And I want to talk about this today, and I want to talk about this through an incredible story out of the scriptures, what we call the book of Nehemiah, that really helps us identify this and how important it is for us to recognize this especially when it comes to leading others and leading ourselves in times of uncertainty. And Nehemiah is from our Old Testament scriptures, which are the Hebrew scriptures that, uh, that we have, and it's really the story all pointing to Christ, leading up to when Jesus came. And if you look through the stories of the scriptures and, and that God was doing this work in and through his people and mainly through the nation of Israel. And so Nehemiah is a part of this time, and it's actually in a similar era of what we were leading from last week. And in this time, the nation of Israel had been exiled. They had been defeated 
by, uh, and, and been taken cap- captive, and they were essentially ruled by other nations over about 250 years. It was a significant period of time, like multiple generations. And so last week we talked about the, the, where Daniel was a leader, and this was when they, were coming, they had been uh, ruled by the Babylonians. And then we're, today we're going to talk about Nehemiah, and it, the Persians were uh, ruling everything. And Nehemiah was someone who wasn't of great position, but he served the king in his court. And if you know the story of Nehemiah, this is not the part that we're going to talk about today, but he is well known for his leadership when he went before the king and he was, he was uh, heartbroken for his home city of Jerusalem to be able to go back and begin to rebuild that city in the country that had been decimated for so many years. And so he got the courage and through prayer and trusting in God, went before the king and said, King, I want to go back. I want to leave my position and go back and to rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and begin to start up that economy again and get it going. He says, this has just been a devastating thing for us. We long to see this happen. And the king said, okay. And so essentially Nehemiah's prayers were answered. And not only that, the king said, here, here's supplies. Here's money for you to go and to do this. And then he appointed him governor. He's like, listen, you'll be the leader over this area. It's an incredible step. And Nehemiah, through great leadership, led the rebuilding of the wall. It was something that was said to be impossible, but they did it. And one interesting thing is Nehemiah began to lead in this, essentially be the governor of this area. Um, he also had poured his own money in to help buy out debt that had been happening from people in the surrounding region where they had been oppressing their people, people who were poor and needy, had had debt to try to find a way to survive. And he used his own resources and money to purchase them out of this. And then after a while, he began, after several years of a while, he began to hear rumors and stories of the very same thing happening, of debt and high interest and huge collateral things happening, but within their own people, within their, their, their Jewish tradition there, there were people from within that were doing the same thing to oppress those who were poor. And they would begin to take over. They would have high collateral of their, even their families and their farms and other things they are doing. So then the people would almost be like slaves to them. And he began to find out that this was happening and he was outraged. And this is where we're going to pick up this story. This is found in Nehemiah 5. And Nehemiah is essentially his diary of this point in time in his life. And so it says here in verse 6, he says, When I heard their outcry and these charges, I was very angry. He says, I pondered them in my mind. And, I, and this is a huge thing. He says, and then I accused and accused the nobles and officials. This is a big deal, right, for a governor to come and say, you have done this. Our culture right now, we live in a land of constant accusations, right? And so for him to do this, it's a big deal. But we hear this all the time. But he says, I accused the nobles and officials. He says, I told them, you are charging your own people interest which is a big deal, and you'll understand why a little bit later. He says, so I called together a large meeting to deal with them. It's a very strong, noble leader doing this. He's essentially calling people together to publicly deal with this problem. And this would have been very hard to do. But he says, as far as possible, we have bought back our fellow Jews who were sold to the Gentiles. He's like, we did all this work to get them bought back and to free them up because now you are selling your own people. 
only for them to be sold back to us. If we're having to do this whole thing over again, he'd already spent a fortune buying back Jewish citizens out of slavery to foreigners. Now he's having to do the same thing all over again. He's finding out this is coming from within. This time he's having to pay up the loans for their own people. So he says here, they kept quiet because they could find nothing to say. He's confronting this issue and they, they're like, yeah, we, there's not a whole lot we can say right now. He says, so I continued. He says, what you are doing is not right. Shouldn't you walk in the fear of our God to avoid the reproach of our Gentile enemies? Basically, he's saying, our neighbors are laughing at us. He's like, we're not even keeping our own laws. We know that these are things that we shouldn't do, and we're doing them. You ever feel that, feel that about your own self? Like, I know I shouldn't do these things, but I'm doing it anyway. He's like, we're undermining our own economy and security. He had bought these things off so people could restart their lives. They could start spending money again. They could actually build a future. And Ian and I is not finished. He says this. He says, I and my brothers and my men are also lending the people money and grain. But let us stop charging interest. So according to the, according to the Torah that they followed, the Jews were encouraged to loan money to other Jews, especially to the poor, to those who didn't have those resources. But they were not to charge interest. They were not to take important property as collateral like their land or work animals. And these wealthy part, these wealthy citizens of them, they were guilty of all of these things. It was plunging these people into further problems, and if anything, it was undermining their economy, making things worse. So Nehemiah says this, he continues, he says, Give back to them immediately their fields their vineyards, their olive groves, and their houses, and also the interest you are charging them. Because you need to return this. So what did they do? How did they respond? Well, they said, we will give it back. I mean, this is a public meeting, so they're all there. They're being confronted. He says, we will give it back, they said, and we will not demand anything more from them. We will do as you say. And Nehemiah is no fool. He's been around the block. He kind of knows what's going on. So he understands this. He doesn't trust them. So he makes this a binding commitment. He says here, he says, Then I summoned the priests and made the nobles and officials take an oath to do what they had promised. He made them make this binding. He says, I also shook out the folds of my robe. It's like some cultural thing. He says, in this way, may God shake out of their house and possessions anyone who does not keep this promise. And so the people did as they had promised. What an amazing leadership moment to step forward in something that's very hard and confront the wrong that was going on. And just like that, they returned what they had taken. It's like, wow, like what, what caused them to just respond? Like, how did he have that kind of authority? Why did they follow this? To help us understand this, I share a story from what I've observed in my own life, and it's actually from my wife. I, 
Several years ago, I, 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 you know, I, I, watched, I watched my wife, and I would see her with friends and, and others in the city, and they would, other moms and others around them. They'd be in the park or playgrounds and, and just being together. And, and I would see how, and we'd talk about this, they would, they would we'd knowingly be talking behind her back. I mean, this happens. If, you're in, if you live life, you know, you're going to eventually get into places like this. This happens. And many times she would refuse to engage in gossip or some of the crazy politics that can come around different circles and things and groups. And, but that would kind of push her out because she wouldn't engage in some of those conversations. And, but then they would talk about her, and she would know this is happening. You don't have to be, you know, you can see this when this is happening. And, if, and just so you know, if anybody's ever gossiping a bit to you about somebody else, there's a really good chance that person's going to do the exact same thing to somebody else about you. And this is kind of a common thing. You know it's going to happen. But when those things are happening, it is hurtful. And there is so much pressure in that to give in because of our desire to be with others and to have position and to have status, whatever that may be. But there was a time when a crisis hit another one of them in this, in this huge group. And they had had a very personal thing where a miscarriage had happened. And Aaron has had many friends have miscarriages. It's part of life, and that is not easy, but it's something that is so very personal. And when something like that happens, it can, be, it can actually feel shaming. There's a lot of emotions that you will feel, and you, that person, and whoever has this happen to you, you need someone that you can trust, that is very close to you, that you know that you can just share everything that's happening and say this has happened before anything would be public or whatever it could be, just to... Talk about it. So who was the first person that this person reached out to when this happened to be able to share and talk about it? It was my wife. The first text they went out to talk about this, it was her. Why was that? Why was that? They knew she wouldn't gossip. They knew if they told her, it wouldn't get out that they could talk about it and relax and fully trust. She could be trusted. There's something about those moments where you will live your life and you will try to please others and you will do things. You will step over others in your job to try to get ahead in position and, and compromise different things. And, and, and there are things that we can do. And if you see someone who doesn't do that, you, that you can be ridiculed for those things. But in the moment of crisis, whenever something comes to it, what's the first thing you think of? You're like, I need someone to talk to. I need to be able to share this and to trust. Who can I trust? And in those moments, you suddenly have great clarity on who that person is. They have a moral integrity, and they will immediately pop into your mind. You will sift through everything else. You realize suddenly they have this incredible influence in your life, and you want them to speak to it. And you don't care about their status, how much money they make, how many friends they have. You just want somebody you can trust. And with Nehemiah, the reason his words carried so much weight was that was the way which he had conducted himself. His reputation had preceded him. He talks about this. We continue in the story. He says here, he says, Moreover, from the 20th year of King Xerxes, 
who was the leader of, of, of Persia at the time. He was King Xerxes I. He says, when I was appointed to be their governor in the land of Judah until his 32nd year, he says, this 12-year period that I've been serving, he says, neither I nor my brothers ate the food allotted to the governor. Well, what is this? Well, as the governor, Nehemiah had the legal right to collect taxes for personal income. He was also guaranteed a, an allotment of food from the farmers. In his 12 years as governor, he never exercised those rights and paid for those things out of his pocket. And he continues here. He says, but the earlier governors, those preceding me, placed a heavy burden on the people and took 40 shekels of silver from them in addition to food and wine. Their assistants also lorded it over the people. So previous governors had abused their authority. And then these wealthy citizens, they were just repeating what the leaders before them had done. That's what you do. They took their cues from the previous governors. And what an amazing, this is a total sidebar here, but what an amazing picture into how our world functions. And why, how important is it for us to be involved in putting people in place, putting leaders in place? And I just want to say to you, I want to encourage you to not neglect your duty this week to vote. Many times it can be hard and it can be confusing to take these steps. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of people don't vote because it's like that. But I want to encourage you to do whatever you can. Here in Jersey City, we're not just electing a president this week. We all know that that event is happening. But in Jersey City, we're electing senators. We're electing other local representatives. We're electing school board members. There's a lot that's happening. And people take their cues from the leaders. It makes a massive impact. We understand that. On our national level, we talk about that a lot, but this also happens all the way down to our local level. And Nehemiah continues here. He says, but out of reverence for God, he goes, I did not act like that. Instead, I devoted myself to the work on this wall, and my, all my men were assembled there for the work, and we did not acquire any land. They didn't even take land. He had the right to do that, and property ownership was a sign of power at this point in time. He didn't even go there. He didn't enrich himself at the expense of the people. They, he came to do what he said he was going to do, and they knew it. What an incredible leader. He says, I never demanded the food allotted to the governor because the demands were heavy on the people. Man, if we could have more leaders like this, right? We just desire that within our hearts. But I want to say it starts with you and me, that we must be able to see this for ourselves. What we focus on is the positional authority. He had a positional authority of governor. And that's something that we are constantly chasing, that, that many people above you will stand on and, and create you know, awful situations for you. We don't like that. But if you are constantly chasing positional authority, it's something that is temporary. It won't last. and It's always moving. Someone else will get it before you, or the company restructures, and then you're chasing something else. We have to move cities, and that thing is always moving. It's important to have. We need to have people in leadership. But there's a way different thing in play here that has much more lasting influence on your life, that is less temporary 
and harder for us to see many times, and that's this. And this is the first essential of, of leading through uncertainty. It's this. It is moral authority. Moral authority. Nehemiah could make the demands of those people because he had lived it out. They had nothing that they could say to him. They didn't even, they just kept quiet. For 12 years, he had been building this. Moral authority is a foundation for your life. It will bring a lot of joy to relationships for you. It will be able to affect lasting change in others. And it's something that's not dependent upon your financial status. It's not something that's even dependent on your your personal, your position. And it is a beautiful thing when someone trusts you in this way. There's a depth of life that you can experience. You will take a hit for living life this way eventually. It will cost you something. But you are sowing into fruit and joy in the future. And in times of uncertainty, like we are in right now, when things are harder, when life is more in chaos, when you, especially when you've been pulled away and you are more isolated Every part of you will be tested. And I know because I feel this every single week in my life right now. And I know that you are too. Every part of you will be tested. And it's precisely moments of pressure like this when you will be tempted to just blow it and to compromise and to take steps that you normally wouldn't have done. You will be tempted to step over somebody else in your your job to cut corners just to make sure that you have a paycheck or there's food on the table when, when downsizing happening is happening and people are losing their jobs. You'll be tempted to take these other steps or you'll just be tempted to give in the temptation to say, I'm just going to do these things. I know they're destructive to me. It can be destructive from relationship. I know I've got to hide this, but I am hurting. But one day it will cost you. This is why Paul comes to us in Ephesians and he says this, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Your more authority matters. Even if you have to sacrifice position for that, you'll never regret that in the long run. You will regret later. Okay, you say, all right, I I need to be reminded this. This is good. I need to be moral, so I'm going to do it. Now, I'm going to end with this today. The thing is, many of you are probably thinking, or you could be thinking of things that you've done, maybe even this week, where you've blown your moral authority. You've like, I screwed this up. I'm doing these things. The truth is, we can't do it. Or we haven't. We've already messed it up. What do you do about that if you feel like you've lost your moral authority? Because eventually, if you try to be moral, you won't ultimately fulfill it. You will mess that up. You need grace. You need God's grace. One of the most incredible places in Scripture is a woman who was caught in adultery 
and she was brought before Jesus. And it's a crazy scenario. It was a total trap set up for him. And they were trying to trick Jesus, and they say, they said that they were trying to trap Jesus. This is found in John 8. And they are demanding, like, hey, the law says that you should stone her for this. So Jesus wrote in the sand, and they are demanding an answer. And that's where Jesus stood up. This is a famous passage. Maybe you've never even read scripture, but you've probably heard about this. He stood up and he said, he who is without sin, cast the first stone. You've heard that, right? And when he said that, they walked away one by one. And he was writing the dust, and we wish so bad we knew what he was writing. We want to say that he was writing their sins out, and maybe he was. That would be amazing. But then he stood up to the woman. He said, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? And her reply was, no. No. In this moment of everything blowing up, her moral authority had been lost. The moral authority of all those leaders and positions was also lost. And Jesus confronted that. But he didn't condemn her, and he was the one person who was actually without sin that was, did have the authority to stone her. And he says to her, and Jesus said, he says, neither do I go and sin no more. This conversation can't be had without talking about moral authority, without the fact that we can't do it. You know it. You know that there's something in you that, that is blowing it up. You treat people that are closest to you horribly. You do something and you hurt them. You're like, how could I do that? Or you engage in secret things where you know you've got to hide this. You break your own moral code. Whatever you've set that out for yourself, you can't even fulfill that. That's why we need forgiveness. That's why Christ is so important. And it's amazing because of what he did. He knew that he could stand up and say, go and sin no more. Jesus' grace, his forgiveness of our sin, gives us the authority to sin no more. Have you found that? Have you found that freedom for yourself? But then we walk away. We experience that grace. But he says, I died for that so that you could sin no more. When we hear, be careful then how you live, it's this place of grace where you need to stand in that, that forgiveness that he's given you. He did that so you could walk away. And we need to continually walk away. So in times of uncertainty, long term, you will never regret decisions made on moral grounds. It does mean that you will experience pain and suffering. For standing on principle, you are sowing the seed for something that is deeper, that will last. So let's pursue this. How do you do this? Well, admit two things. One is admit and confess what I've done wrong. You believe in Jesus and his forgiveness for you, and then you stand on his grace. We can't do this alone. You can't do this alone. I want to encourage you to, to resist isolation and continue to engage in community just like we are today. Let's pray together. Jesus, we love you. 
We thank you so much for your words to us. God, I just pray that we would know today the incredible grace that you are pursuing us with because it can feel condemning to hear these things because we think about the things that we've, we've done to blow it. But God, we've all blown it. And that's why we need you. And I pray that we would stand on the strength that your grace gives us to walk away from things that are going to destroy us. May we resist the culture that pushes us to our destruction and run towards you and trust today. May we be leaders of moral integrity. Father, we thank you and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.